It's good to be here this morning. So grateful for every one of you. I know that we've had some rough weather the last few days, and yet you made it. You're here. We didn't have to build an ark yet. It's close, I know. It's very close. I mean, there were times. Yeah, I know Mary got blasted, and so did Jeannie and Sam. They had their share, and I know some other people have had some hail the last 24 hours, but you're here to praise God and be in His holy place, and I am grateful for every one of you. Well, as you know, we're in our series going through the five doctrinal distinctives of our church and what does the Calvary family believe. And this is our third distinctive out of five, and it is regarding uh, the necessity of the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit for all of life and ministry. And I have to tell you, I've been really looking forward to this. Um, I've been really looking forward to teaching on this particular distinctive. First of all, I just need to say I forgot to remind people that we do not have children going back to classes. We're taking a break from that this summer. So if you are used to having your kids go back to class, um, we, love, we love children. And we love the noise of children. And so we are grateful to have all of our kids here to learn. So anyway... I have been looking forward to teaching about the Holy Spirit, but it brings up many questions whenever we do that, and uh, more questions than really we have time for in one sermon. So I decided that as I was going through this, I could do one of two things. I could have a message that might be more in line with 30 to 35 minutes or so, or I could do a message of an hour and a half. And I decided that an hour and a half is too long for me, so I I broke it into two. So we're going to go through part one this week, and we're going to go through part two next week. This week we're going to look at more in line with the deity of the Holy Spirit, um, the fact that the Holy Spirit is in fact God, and we're going to spend a lot of time on that. Next week we'll look more on the works of the Holy Spirit and how He works with us. Um, So... I just want you to know, too, there's, even today, there are so many things to talk about that we are not able, I am not able to answer every question that these may bring up. I may not have time to explain every little nuance of every passage that we're going to look at. And this message is also different than what we normally do, because normally we take one passage of Scripture and we go through it verse by verse. In this case, when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, this is going to be more like a um, a systematic theology class. And if you're not in seminary, that's okay. We're going to be looking at what the Holy Spirit and the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, but we're going to be looking at a bunch of verses. So for your note-takers, I promise I will try to go as slow as I possibly can, but if you don't get them all, I will make sure that I, I get you my notes if you want them. Okay? But my goal this morning is not to answer every question that this might bring up. In fact, I hope that I don't. I want you to leave today with a sense of awe of the Holy Spirit and with a lot more questions than maybe you brought in. I want you to have your appetite wet over what we are about to talk about, and then that will drive you to investigate more about who the Holy Spirit truly is. Sometimes we have a a skewed view of who the Holy Spirit is. And you'll see Him in a different way than maybe you've heard Him taught before. I want us to understand the biblical version 
of the Holy Spirit. What do the Scriptures say? As our brother Dennis will always say, he always says, well, what do the Scriptures say? And I'm borrowing, in fact, I'm stealing that from him to use it. So theologian Michael Byrd, one of my favorite systematic theologists, he wrote this regarding the misconception of the Holy Spirit. It's lengthy, so hang in there with me. He says, The Holy Spirit is the third member of the triune Godhead. In Christian thought, the Holy Spirit is often regarded as the personification of the love between the Father and the Son. In operation, the Spirit is the energy and power of God who works in creation, revelation, redemption, and renewal. More specifically, in salvation, the Holy Spirit applies the work of Christ to the believer and thus mediates the work of the mediator. The role of the church is to follow the leading of the Spirit in mission, and the goal of discipleship is to keep in step with the Spirit and bear its fruits. Now that's pretty standard stuff. Shouldn't be any big surprises there at all. He says, but tragically... However, the Holy Spirit is largely neglected by many evangelicals. They regard the Holy Spirit as the poor cousin in the Trinity. There is the Father who has long gray hair, a big white beard, and a shiny white gown, kind of like an Anglican Santa Claus. Then there is the Son who's got hippie long hair, somewhat like Luke, right? And uh, a well-trimmed beard, and a good Caucasian complexion. I think we've all had that picture of Jesus on our wall at one time or another. Um, then, there is the, then there is the Holy Spirit, who kind of like is like a buzz that sets off good vibrations, like a Beach Boy song, right? Good vibrations about God when our favorite hymn is sung at church. But the doctrine of the Holy Spirit often ends up becoming an empty affirmation and a theological checklist. He goes on to say the Holy Spirit is eclipsed partly because evangelicals lay such high stress on Christology, which is the study of Jesus. And of course, that is extremely important. But some evangelicals are also scared of the Holy Spirit because of a desire to avoid the excesses of Pentecostalism. The result is a virtual pneumophobia, pneuma being the Greek word for spirit. So it's, the stu- it's a fear of the spirit is what he's talking about. The other problem is that the Spirit is suspect because he is not a denominational or theological loyalist. Indeed, the Holy Spirit is a maverick. He crosses the floor on many issues, breaks ranks in division, and won't be owned by any party. He is impossible to predict or predetermine and can't be bottled up by doctrine or denomination. He calls no theologian master, and he lives as a free agent. Going and blowing where he wishes. Keeping up with the Spirit is like trying to follow, trying to follow uh, the beat in some syncopated jazz music. There is a rhythm, and if you've ever heard live jazz music, you know that what makes jazz jazz is that it's really whatever goes. And the beat is really, you don't dance to jazz. You listen to jazz. So he, says, so he says that in some syncopated jazz music, there is a rhythm, but you have no idea where it is going. Too many churches are passionate for the glory of the Father and are 
and are resolute in their Christ-centered faith, but languish in a spiritual impoverishment by neglecting the Holy Spirit. And that's why we're here this morning, because I want us to understand and get rid of some of the misconceptions and clear up some questions regarding the Holy Spirit. Next week, we're going to look at the works of the Holy Spirit like I talked about, but today, the big question I want to address is this. Is the Holy Spirit God? And I know many of you would go, well, of course He is, but we're going to find out why, okay? At least I'm hoping that all of you would say that He is. So let's bow our heads in prayer as we get ready to start digging in to this truth. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, we just thank you again for your word, Lord. We thank you for the study of your word, Lord. We thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the Son. We thank you for the Father. We thank you, Lord, that we have these great truths that we can teach and talk about. Father, I pray, God, that this morning that you would be glorified in all that we say. Lord, that it would be your words reflected and that I would just be your vessel. Open our minds to hear what it is that you have said and to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So our first point, and really our only point that we have today, is yes, of course, the Holy Spirit is God. And understanding that the Spirit is God is one of the utmost importance in our understanding, understanding of who the Spirit really is. Some people will refer to the Spirit as a force, like something from Star Wars, that God the Father has in His hand and He just tosses it out wherever and to whoever He wants. But the Holy Spirit is a person. He is the third person of the Holy Trinity, co-equal with the Father and the Son. He fits as the final part of the Holy Triune Godhead. Just as the Father and the Son are eternal and are not created and have no beginning or end, the same is true of the Spirit. And we're going to look more at this later. The early church in church history argued over the role and deity of the Holy Spirit from the very beginning. It wasn't until 381 A.D., during the Second Ecumenical Council in Constantinople, that they agreed that the Spirit's deity and added this one line to the Nicene Creed, which says this. All of that other stuff is okay to remember, but this I want you to understand. It says this. It says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. Now I know that creeds come from men, but these creeds are based on Scripture. These men argued over this issue and several others for over two months before coming to an agreement, pouring over the Word of God and praying, trying to understand the meaning and who is the Holy Spirit and is He truly God. This was not something that they just took for granted. Because there were people who weren't sure. Finally, they did agree that the Holy Spirit is God. Calling Him Lord and acknowledging the Spirit as the giver of life. He is to be adored and to be worshipped by glorifying Him just as the Father and the Son are. So this morning, I have, I have ten attributes about the Holy Spirit to show from Scripture His, his deity. 
So kids, I know that you're here. This is for you and parents to help your kids. Let's see how many of these 10 attributes that you can write down and remember. And if you can capture some of the, the Bible verses that go with them, that would be even better so that you can read them later. The first one is this. He is called God in Scripture. He is called God. And we, our verse for taking notes is Acts 5. Acts 5, verses 3 and 4. This is the familiar story of Ananias and Sapphira and how they lied about selling some property and giving all of it to the church when in fact they kept some of it themselves. But that story in itself today is secondary. But when we go through Acts starting in the fall, we'll hit that and we'll, we'll go into that story in great detail. But listen to this. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. You see, Peter acknowledges that the Spirit... The Holy Spirit is God in this passage regarding Ananias and Sapphira. He says that you did not lie to man, but to God while he was referencing the Holy Spirit. So we can see right away that Scripture itself testifies that the Holy Spirit is in fact God. And the rest of the attributes that we're going to look at are going to reflect on that. Okay? So our second one, kids, is that he is omnipresent, which means that he is ever-present. And we'll look at Psalm 139, verse 7, which says, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? The spirit is ever-present. He is omniscient. There is nowhere for us to flee from him. This is an attribute that only God has. People do not share this attribute with God. This is only God who can be present everywhere. We cannot be present everywhere, as you know. Sometimes it would be great if we could. It would be helpful, but we can't. The omnis, and we'll get through all three of them, so you don't have to remember what they are right now, are the ones that God does not share with people, with humans. Now, this can be comforting for us, but then again, if we're involved in sin, then it can be frightening as well. R.A. Torrey, the great R.A. Torrey, so eloquently put it this way. He said, how often some young man has had his hand on the door of some place of sin that he is about to enter, and the thought has come to him, if I enter there, if I enter there, my mother might hear of it, and it would nearly kill her. And he has turned his back on that door and gone away to lead a pure life that he may not grieve his mother. Which is great. That's great motivation. But there is one who is holier than any mother, one who is more sensitive against sin than the purest woman who ever walked this earth, and who loves us even as not any mother ever loved. <coughs> this one dwells in our hearts 
if we are really Christians. And He sees every act we do by day or under the cover of night. He hears every word we utter in public or in private. He sees every thought we entertain. He beholds every fancy and imagination that is permitted, even momentary lodging in our mind. And if there is anything unholy, impure, selfish, mean, petty, unkind, harsh, unjust, or any evil act or word or thought or fancy, he is grieved by it. Because we cannot be away from him. If we're Christians, he is with us because he lives inside of us. Michael Reeves in his book, Delighting in the Trinity, he says this, expanding on that thought. He says, it is not just the grief our sin might cause him. The Spirit's present in us. We are brought to enjoy the Spirit's own intimate communion He has with His Father and the Son. If the Spirit were not God, He could not do that. In other words, not only is He there when we sin, which should help us to not sin, but He is present with us, and because He is equal as, uh, with the Father and the Son, He brings us into this communion that He has with them. The perfect union that the Spirit has with the Father and the Son in the Trinity. He takes us with Him because He lives in us. And so we get to experience this unity in our relationships with our spouses and with our friends and other Christians in the body of Christ. We have this perfect unity or we can have this perfect unity because of the Spirit. But we also must understand that you know, there are times when we sin and we don't remember, or we don't even give a thought to the fact that whatever it is that we're doing, whatever website we look at, whatever thought we might have, He is there. Do we really want to drag God into our sin with us? Do we really understand that He is grieving and He is saddened by what we are doing? Does that not even affect our thoughts or our actions at all? We know that we don't want to let our mothers down. We don't want to let our fathers down. But more than that, we must not let the Spirit down. Now the third one is that He is omnipotent, meaning that He is all-powerful. He is all-powerful. So, Isaiah 11.2 says this. Isaiah 11.2 And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Now in this passage, we recognize that Isaiah is talking about the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, our Savior and our Lord. But even in Jesus' baptism, we see that the Lord the Spirit of the Lord rests upon him. Matthew 3, 16 and 17 says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We see when Jesus was baptized, 
And the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord came up into Jesus Himself. And then we think about what happened immediately after that moment. Immediately after that moment, Jesus was taken to the desert to be tempted by Satan after he had fasted from food and drink for 40 days and nights. And during his physically weakened state, Jesus needed the all-powerful Holy Spirit to help him battle the devil and gain victory. This is a picture, again, of the perfect unity in the Trinity. This is a model for us that when we do battle against the world, our flesh, and the devil, that we are not capable of fighting this fight on our own. Most of us know that because we have failed miserably when we have tried. We need the all-powerful Holy Spirit to give us victory. And praise be to the Father and Son who sent the Spirit into us when we put our faith and trust in Christ to help us gain the victory over this world. The fourth one is this, that He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. 1 Corinthians 2.10 These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. As an equal part of the Trinity, the Spirit has knowledge that only God can have. He can search everything, even the deep things of God. The Spirit, who is known as the Helper, the Teacher, the Counselor, and the Comforter, knows everything because he has an intimate relationship with the Son and the Father. John 14.26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Greek word for this, for Helper, is parakletos. In other instances, it has been translated to mean counselor. But in this case, uh, in, the, in that case, of it, it means like a defense attorney or a legal assistant. But in this instance, the translation helper is the perfect because the Spirit is sent to teach us all the deep things that Jesus said and did. The deep thoughts of the Father. I'm going to kill this fly in just a second. So if I bang on it, I am going to kill this fly. The deep thoughts of the Father that He has revealed about Himself in His Word to us. He will keep us in our walk and understanding of God. Now this should actually get us excited and be diligent in our study of the Lord and what He wants from us. This should actually bring us comfort to know that we are not on our own. We are not alone. That God has sent Himself as the Holy Spirit into us to help us understand who He is. The fifth one is that He is part of creation. He is part of creation. And the, these, there's three verses that I want to look at here, and that's Genesis 1-2, Psalm 33-6, and Job 33-4. So it's Genesis 1-2, Psalm 33-6, and Job 33-4. Genesis 1, we'll start in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. 
He was hovering over the face of the water. So we see again in this section of Scripture where we always wonder, is God eternal? Of course He was. In the beginning, God. Meaning that there is an assumption that God was before the beginning. Meaning that God has no beginning or end. And there was the Spirit as well hovering over the waters. Thus, the Spirit Himself was eternal without beginning or end. But He was there at the moment of creation. Psalm 33.6, as Sherry read for us, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all were lost. Remember, creation was created when God spoke. When He spoke, His Spirit went out. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, went out and was part of the creation process. Job 33.4, The Spirit of God has made me, Job said. And the breath of the Almighty gives me life. It is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that gives us life. In these verses, we can see that the Spirit is eternal. And as an agent in creation, that He was hovering over the water. One of the great attributes of the Spirit is that He is the giver of life. And next week, we'll go more into depth with that as we talk about how He is involved with us in our regeneration from sinners to saints, to go from sinner to Christian, and how the Spirit works in our regeneration in that process. But here we can see that the Spirit Himself was used as an agent in the creation, as the breath of God. The sixth one is that He is called holy. He is called holy. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So again, we see in this passage that the Spirit is not only called holy, the Holy Spirit, but your body is identified as the temple of the Lord where the Spirit takes residence in a believer. You are set apart by God for His glory to not live like the world, but to live a life worthy of your calling by God, by the Holy Spirit. That you were bought with a price, and that price was the death of Jesus on the cross. And of course, that is a high price indeed. But as a believer, you belong to God. And you are no longer your own, and this is not something for us to fight against, but to embrace and be encouraged by. And this goes back to the Spirit's omnipresence. Since our bodies are a temple where the Spirit of God resides, the Spirit is always with us. God is always present in a believer. And because of this, then you are set apart to do the good works that God has prepared for you. Ephesians 2.10 For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And we are incapable of doing these good works without the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. The Holy Spirit, who sets us apart to do the work that God has for us. 1 Peter 1.16, Peter says, Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So we're to follow that line of thinking that that the Holy Spirit is holy, God is holy, the Son is holy, 
then we should be holy. Let, so then let us walk in a way worthy of the calling that God has on our lives. Number seven, God, or He is called Lord. The Spirit is called Lord. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Spirit, again, is always with us as Lord. He is Lord, just like Jesus is Lord. He is God, and because He is with us, we have freedom. We have freedom from our past. This goes to the idea of the regeneration that a Christian goes through, the transformation from where our old self is dead and then we are made alive in a new creation. We are no longer slaves to the sin of our past. In fact, we're no longer slaves at all to sin. Because the Lord is with us. And our faces should reflect our freedom. Our faces should not be downcast. Our faces should reflect the glory of our Lord because He is inside of us. He is the life giver who has transformed us from our old self to our new creation made in the image of Jesus. The eighth one, he is called Almighty, Job 32.8. But it is the spirit in man, the breath of the Almighty, that makes him understand. And the word here, Almighty, it means most powerful. Almighty God. The Holy Spirit is identified here by Job as the most powerful God. This is in line with the other attributes he has and we have seen. He is the one who provides us with the power to stand and live our lives here on earth and deal with the sufferings and hardships that we come across. He is the all-powerful one who gives us the strength to love the unlovely and to love and serve the poor, to serve the addicted, the prisoners, and even the rich who do not feel that they need the Lord. It is by the powerful, almighty God of the Spirit that we are able to fulfill our mission by Jesus to go and make disciples of all nations. He is called eternal, the ninth one. He is called eternal. We're getting to the end. Hebrews 9.14 How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The Holy Spirit, as we have already said, is eternal. He is without beginning or end, and just, just as the Father and the Son. And when we look at the Holy Trinity, we, we see that the Father has always been a Father to the Son. And the Son, Jesus, has always been a Son to the Father. But it is also true that the Spirit has always been the love that bonds them together. The Spirit has always loved the Son and has always loved the Father and the Son has always loved the Spirit and the Father has always loved the Sp and the Father has always loved the Spirit. There has never been a time when these three were not together. None of them are created beings. They have always existed as co-equals. 
They are three distinct persons, yet they are perfectly united as one holy God. And it is one of the great mysteries that we cannot fully know the answer to. It just is. Perfectly bonded together in perfect unity and love. And the unity of the Trinity is what the Lord wants for us in our relationships with one another and our relationship with Him. Division is not of God, it is of Satan. He is the great divider, the eternal liar. He is the one who tries to infiltrate our relationships to destroy them. He knows the Lord desires unity. The devil is the one who wants to destroy marriages and fracture families. He is the one who wants to split churches and take us down. When we live in the truth of the Spirit and understand the unity of the Trinity and by the power the Spirit provides us by living in us, we can stand unified in our relationship with the glory of God, our King. And when we set aside our pride and our will for God's will for the good of the kingdom, as Jesus did when He went to the cross, we will find unity. And finally, number 10, He is called the truth. 1 John 5, 6. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Because of the perfect union of the Trinity and the role of the Spirit to teach us and to guide us into all truth, he himself is the truth. The Spirit pours out the truth of the saving power of the Gospel and allows us the ability to understand the truth. That we can put our faith given by the Spirit as God's gift to us to stand firm in the saving grace of His Gospel message. He provides the perfect testimony because He is the perfect witness as the third person of the Trinity as God Himself. He is incapable of providing a false witness because the Spirit is truth. He is God, and God does not lie. He is the one who helps overcome our doubts and our fears because He continually testifies in our minds and our hearts the truth of God's Word to us. This means that we need to be in God's Word regularly to feed ourselves with His truth. And we need to be in prayer and ask the Spirit to open our minds to understand what God has to say with us, to say to us. Now I realize that this has been a lot of scripture, and it's been an unusual message that we usually never give a message like this in this church. But I wanted to pour over this so that there would be indisputable evidence for you to see that in Scripture it testifies to the deity of the Holy Spirit. Now you may have known that. But I wanted to draw that out from what the Bible says so that you have what you need to be able to defend that. That He is not a force. Although He is a force to be reckoned with, He is a real person. Just like the Father and the Son. He is the third person of the Holy Trinity. He is the giver of life. He opens <clears throat> our minds to understand the deep things of God. He is holy. And just like Jesus... He was not created. He is eternal. The Spirit has always been with the Father and the Son, perfectly united in perfect love, 
together before time began. He is the truth and the giver of truth. And we cannot run from his presence because he was always with us as believers. He knows all the deep things of God and he is all powerful. He is the Lord God Almighty himself. And he loves us with a perfect love. He is the one who convicts us of our sins. John 16, 8. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And we are not to grieve the Spirit by continuing in our sin. As Paul says in Ephesians 4.30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He is the one who draws us to the Father. He is Almighty. He is truth. He is Lord. And we are to fear Him with a reverent fear and we are to worship Him. It sounds easy, doesn't it? But I know it isn't. We know it's all hard. In fact, it's impossible for us to do on our own. But because it is impossible for us to do on our own, God, in His almighty grace and mercy, gave us the Holy Spirit to help us do the very thing that we cannot do alone. So let us come before the Spirit and worship Him with grateful hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, for your word, Lord. And we know it was a lot this morning. And I pray, God, we went through it very fast. Um, and I just pray, God, that you would be glorified in what it is. We are so thankful, Lord, for the Holy Spirit, for the fact that he comes and lives inside of us, Lord. And that because of that, we can know the deep things of you because he teaches us. He is our helper. He is our counselor. Lord, we love him as we know he loves us. And I pray, Father, that all of this starts by having a relationship with Jesus. And if there's someone here this morning, Lord, who doesn't know Christ as their Savior and Lord, then I pray that today, Lord, that you would convict them that they need to do that so they can receive the Holy Spirit themselves. Father, I just thank you again for this day, Lord. I pray that you are glorified in this message. And I just pray, God, that we would remember that you are with us at all times. In Jesus' name, amen.